Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 70 of Crunch Time with the N326 Duo. I'm your host, Sam Gotzi, and with me today, as always, Tanner Dislin, and we are the N326 Duo. It's the best time to be a sports fan, as the best time of the year is finally here. MLB playoff baseball, NHL opening night. Football season in full swing and basketball just around the corner. We have a lot to talk about on this episode of Crunch Time. Tanner, we're going to skip over uh, winners and losers this week because MLB playoffs are, are here. The hunt for October is here. So we are hopping on the diamond with Dizlin. Divisional rounds uh, just... Uh, ha- started today of recording Tuesday. Um, catch it, catching up people to speed here. Um, in the wild card, we saw the Guardians defeat the Rays 2 0. The Mariners defeated the Blue Jays 2 0. Phillies defeated the Cardinals 2 0. And finally, the Padres eked out a series win against Tanner's Mets 2 1. Tanner, what what are kind of those big surprises you saw in the wild card? Boy, well, first off, I do I do want to uh, I just want to acknowledge how sad I am. Just just what 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 a bleak existence this this life is. Um, being tied to a team, watching 162 of their games, watching them win 101 of them, uh, for you to believe, and really the first time in forever where you've actually believed in the, in a team. Uh, uh, in a baseball team, and and then they rip your heart out by just plain and simple not showing up um, for the same reason they were the loser last episode, right? You, you <laughs> had a three-game set with your three best pitchers on the hill, and you, you only win one. I mean, that, that's with the series from last episode, that's six games. That is that is six games where you had your best three starters on the hill for each for one of each of those two series. And uh, and you won one of six, and that and that simply can't happen. You didn't show up when it mattered, and it stings. It really stings, and uh, I'm just completely defeated by their performance. But back to your other question, my partiality is going to be taken out of it completely, and we're back. I'm now fully <laughs> on the diamond. Okay, the biggest surprises to me, I mean, to me it was it was it was the comebacks. And, and in those games, you had mentioned that the Phillies ended up beating the Cardinals 2-0 um, in that wild card series. And in game one, the Cardinals, uh, Cardinals had a 2-0 lead in the eighth, in the, uh, or excuse me, in the ninth, in the top of the ninth. And the Phillies rallied. It was a lot of, uh, a lot of, of scratching claw from the Phillies, uh, some walks, some singles, wasn't a big swing. Wasn't, uh, you know, it was just kind of like a, a death by contact type of mentality from the Phillies that really stole the win from the Cardinals right out from under them. And that, that's, that's really tough to come back from, you know, when you're playing the next day in front of your home fans, again, a little bit of air out of the stadium from the night before. And that's exactly what happened, right? The Cardinals couldn't really come back after that. And Philly won game two. So that was very surprising, especially uh, with the, with the start that, that the uh, the Cardinals got out to in game one. But my other answer is the other comeback, and, and that's Seattle, man. I mean, 
this Seattle team has quickly grabbed the hearts of, of baseball fans across the country, not only breaking the, the postseason drought that they were in, but, uh, but just being a really fun team, really young team, and, and one that the, the country can get behind. They go up to Toronto, you know, a series where they're not really favored at all. They handle game one, jump on Alec Manoa, a guy who'd been dealing all year long. And then in game two, they fall down eight to one. They were down eight to one. They end up scratching and clawing their way back. It was a, uh, I believe it was a three-run home run for Carlos Santana, and then a huge bases clearing game tying double. Um, I believe it was in the eighth inning, seventh or eighth inning, but just just absolutely crazy stuff to come back from that eight to one. And seems like some teams need to figure out what's going on in their bullpen, otherwise you're going to get bounced, and that's exactly what happened to the Cardinals and, and to the Blue Jays. So though that was surprising to me, not only because of who won, but how they did it and those comebacks. Yeah, so of, of those two teams, what what was – if you had to choose, what what would you go with? Boy, this is a good – this is a good question, but I think I'm going to go Seattle. Um, I, I just think that Seattle was the – when compared to their opponent – was just the the team that was up against it more and and like I said the deficit was bigger eight to one and and the the atmosphere was tougher I mean granted St. Louis is a great atmosphere don't get me wrong but when you're in Toronto those Blue Jays fans are absolutely crazy you're inside a dome the uh the noise stays inside the dome and the way they were able to fight back man is absolutely crazy and just completely caught me off guard and again it's one of the reasons why they are such a fun team to get behind, although did not get off to a good start in the divisional series. Well, I guess did get off to a good start in the beginning of the game, but the Astros ended up coming back in that one with a walk-off home run from Jordan Alvarez. Absolutely crazy scene in Houston. So now we're going to see about their resiliency, not only from a game, bouncing back from a game or coming back inside a game, but what about throughout the length of the series? Yeah, Absolutely. I'm surprised you didn't bring up uh, the Tampa Bay uh, Gar- Cleveland series because a little little story for our viewers. Uh, last Saturday, we were uh, obviously tuned into co- college football slate, but we also had the MLB postseason uh, on another TV. We had quite the setup. And yeah, we had three. Course- Just call it what it is. We had three TVs. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Not going to lie. It was pretty awesome. And of course, the the postseason we're watching it goes to fifteen. Um, flipping through football games, you know, and we were on the Rays Guardians game for a while. And of course, the minute I turned the channel is when it happens. The walk off homer. I I was heartbroken. I, I mean. I mean, as you said, it was like innings ten through fourteen were, uh, were it was on that uh, on that TV, and then we check a score for literally about five minutes, turn it back, and uh, we see uh, the 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 Guardians celebrating at at home plate and just completely gutted all of us that we didn't get to see it. Uh, so yeah, really. We're not we're not going to skip our loser because Sam, you're, you're the loser of the episode for for missing yeah. that home run. That that's what we've just decided. Are you sure it's not your Mets? So okay, okay, <laughs> uh, fair. 
Good, good call. You can't be a loser two weeks in a row. Uh, everything is pain. That's what I'll have to say. Everything is nothing, nothing but pain. Yeah. So as you said uh, previously, uh, we're now in the divisional rounds. Um, we got the Guardians taking on the Yankees. They're playing right now at the time of recording on Tuesday night. We have the Mariners versus the Astros. Phillies versus Braves, Padres versus the Dodgers. Tanner, you know I'm not the biggest baseball fan, and I'm sure some of our other listeners are the same way. What matchups should they be watching? Yeah, I've got a couple here for you. Again, you're going to ask me which one I'm like, which one should I be watching? I'm going to give you a couple answers. <laughs> uh, the main one, the headliner, the number one option is got to be Dodgers Padres um, for a couple of reasons. A, it's the Dodgers, the 113-win Dodgers. You got Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, Justin Turner. You got Clayton Kershaw. Like, the the team is just absolutely stacked. Um, there's a reason they won 113 games, and they're just so fun to watch. I mean, even if you don't like them, you appreciate how damn good <laughs> they are. But then you got the Padres coming in. This has kind of been a theme so far in the divisional series. Granted, we're only two games in, but – the team coming off of the wild card win so far has gotten out to the hot start. In both cases, the Phillies over the Braves and, and the Mariners over the Astros, that team has gotten out to the early lead. The Astros were able to come back, but still, that, that that's key, right? And in a, in a series where the Dodgers are going to be favored, uh, that that's an advantage Padres. And the Padres are coming off of one hell of a weekend in Queens. I mean, they pretty much dominated the Mets in all facets of the game. Uh, even in game two, which is the game the Mets won, the, the, the Padres still battled back and had the tying run at the plate in the ninth inning in that game. Really felt like the Padres were in control for a long portion of that series. And, of course, they ended up winning. So... When you have the Padres and that star power, you know the Machado, you know the Juan Soto, but then you get the production from the from the bottom of the lineup, which is what happened against the Mets. You had a uh, Hassan Kim. I mean, he was on base damn near every at bat. You had Trent Grisham, of course, the new Mets dad. I do now have to call him my dad <laughs> legally. Uh, he had two home runs that series, played an excellent center field, and completely wiped off uh, some pretty high expected batting average. Uh, uh, balls off the bat because because of the way he played in center. Uh, another RBI single in there as well. The dude just absolutely dominated the Mets all weekend long. And if you're going to get that level of production from your uh, from the bottom of your lineup, you look to those stars, your Machados and your Sotos. This team is going to be damn hard to beat. Not to mention the pitching side of things when you have you Darvish absolutely shoving, and of course Joe Musgrove. I mean, he he's also my dad. I also have to call him my dad too <laughs> because he was so good. The Mets tried to look at him for cheating. Right. That's how damn good he was. And, and, and that's, you know, that that's scary when you can combine that. And then, of course, as I said before, the 113 win Dodgers top to bottom, the best team in the MLB. It's going to be a hell of a great series. And not to mention, they really just don't like each other. The Padres and the Dodgers are kind of up there with Yankees, Red Sox level of hatred. And uh, it should be an absolutely awesome series. My other one I'm going to go for kind of the same reasons is Braves Phillies. Again, a team coming off of uh, coming off of wild card win. Um, two teams that don't like each other. They're divisional opponents. The Braves, they won 101 games as well. 
they're defending champs and, and they have to prove it, right? A lot of young stars in Atlanta, uh, how they're doing without Freddie Freeman. It's all going to be great to watch. And again, against the team that the bad blood is really there. They know each other well. They hate each other. It should be two awesome series to watch. And not to mention in that series, the 101 win Braves are down one nothing to those Phillies. Yeah, I mean, how can you not say the Padres and the Dodgers? I mean, they're both incredible teams. But Tanner, you know what time it is. We made it a little easier on you this year by uh, skipping over the wild card. Uh, it, it is time for your MLB playoff predictions. Tanner, let the people know what you're thinking. Well, after you, uh, you know, after I did so well last year, you, you had no choice to bring me back, right? <laughs> but uh, this year, my predictions are going to go as follows. In the National League, the Braves-Phillies. Phillies have a one nothing lead. I don't think that stands. I think the Braves bounce back. Uncharacteristically bad uh, pitching performance from Max Freed. That lineup gets going. I mean, they were down, I think. They were down seven to one and came back, lost that game seven to six, and had a chance to to tie in the ninth. So, uh, so I've got the Braves coming back and winning that series. The the other one in the Braves pod, or excuse me, Dodgers Padres. Uh, I, I'm going. I'm going with the best team in the MLB. I'm going the Dodgers. Best pitching staff, best lineup. They beat you in so many different ways. I mean, there's a reason they won 113 games, and I think they keep it going. The Padres are, are a team they know well and a team they've had success against all year long. Uh, I do think it'll be, you know, it's definitely a different Padres team coming in, a hotter Padres team coming in. But, uh, you know, I, I'm still going with the Dodgers. And the American League side of things, the uh, the first series, the um, Astros-Mariners, I think this was a real gut punch to uh, – to the Mariners I had mentioned where they had jumped up. Uh, I want to say it was three or four to nothing and, and then ended up losing that game eight, seven on a, I think it was a, th- a two run bottom of the eighth and then a three run bottom of the ninth to erase that four run deficit going into the late innings. That that's a gut punch. And uh, when, when you're, when you're playing the 105 win Astros, you, you need to capitalize on that. And I don't think they're going to not going to get a better opportunity than that to grab momentum. So I've got the Astros there. Uh, my hot take, my hot take of this of this uh, postseason is, I've got the Guardians beating the Yankees in the first round. Um, I I just think that Guardians pitching is so damn good. I, I mean, you got Shane Beaver going out there and shoving. You got um, Cal Quantrill and another really good, talented um, starting pitcher and I think those two will combine to head a a strong rotation and take that series from the Yankees so I got the Guardians going back to the NL I've got Dodgers and I got Braves the matchup of last year's NLDS and I've got the Dodgers this time Astros Guardians I've got the Astros there they're just too good top to bottom I do have a rematch of the 2017 World Series a little bit lame I know but uh (laughs) I, in this matchup, I'm going to have the Dodgers winning it all. It's, I don't know what else to say other than the fact that they won 113 games. They're that damn good. It's one of the most talented teams I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah, but no doubt the Dodgers are the team to beat in this playoffs. We will keep you updated on how terrible Tanner's 
predictions go. Um, the on the diamond with Dizlin will be returning these next couple weeks with playoff baseball in full swing. No pun intended. Ah, <laughs> but, but that's gonna wrap it up for the baseball talk of this episode. We'll be back with some NCA football recap. Tanner, is time to talk some NCAA football. Let's kick it off with TCU taking down Kansas 38-31. to 31. Tanner, what were your thoughts on this one? I tell you what, this was an awesome game, man. Every bit as advertised, the undefeated Jayhawks, a, a story that is well documented on this podcast and really throughout college football, and then the red-hot TCU Horn Frogs coming off of a dismantling of Oklahoma. Um, I mean, you had said TCU took them down. Unfortunate for Kansas. I think the story for me is is the health of Jalen Daniels. And and, and we had learned today that uh, he his shoulder is going to keep him out for a while. And that's definitely a problem for Kansas. Jalen Daniels was playing like a Heisman hopeful. And, uh, well... And he, they're going to be without him. And uh, I will do need to give some love for Jason Bean. He did play a good game. Came in off the bench, threw for 262 and four touchdowns. Uh, absolutely, you know, incredible work off the bench, really. But over the course of a season, they're really going to miss Daniels. So, so that's kind of what I got my eye on from this game. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Jalen Daniels having a unbelievable season. I'm taking down everyone in his path. Um, but it'll it'll be interesting uh, how this Kansas team responds with Jason Bean behind uh, under center. Um, I mean, he did well. <laughs> Didn't come up with the win, but he still had 262 yards, four touchdowns with not really much expectation of going into that game. But I mean, also TCU looked good. Uh, Max Mac Duggan, does look good. Uh, twenty three for thirty three hundred eight yards, three touchdowns, just absolutely dominant. You got him? Anything else to add on this one, Tanner? Um, I just like you said, it's gonna be interesting to see how Kansas responds. And I mean, next week they quite they've got probably the what's looking like the worst team in the Big Twelve on the schedule next week. Oklahoma. So so traveling to Norman to face a struggling Oklahoma team uh, is going to be a big test because we know the level of talent on Oklahoma. Like I said, struggling mightily. Going to be a good test. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Oklahoma is struggling. Um, next up, we have Tennessee just annihilating Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers. Um, Tanner. Is Tennessee legit this year, man? They are legit, man, and I'm very excited that they are. Just adding more competition into that SEC. We've got so many good teams, so many good matchups. I do truly think they're legit. Um, They've got good wins over Florida. They traveled to Pittsburgh and got that win. They've now traveled to LSU and beat the living crap out of the Tigers, as you said. This team's looked really damn good, and Again, you look forward, look for that prove-it game next week. 
they welcome the Crimson Tide down to Knoxville. So I, I can't even talk about how good of a game this is going to be, number six versus number three. Uh, it's the prove-it game, man. So, so right now I'm 100% yes on the board that Tennessee is real, but we're going to learn a lot on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, Hendon Hooker looked as good as always uh, doing it both in the air and on his feet. Um, but like you said, first test this upcoming weekend, we'll talk about that game more. Um, but yeah, Tennessee rolling. Um, next up, a little Pac-12 action for y'all. UCLA taking care of Utah 42-32. to Tanner, what were your thoughts on this one? it's one of those things is UCLA for real. I mean, you know, this, this is another big win from the Bruins um, doing so against Washington uh, and now, uh, you know, against Utah um, in, in a wide open pack 12, right? You have USC who's been playing pretty well, but other than that, a lot of teams that are kind of vying for uh, buying for, for that, for that top, top dog in, in the pack. Yeah. Um, and and I think UCLA has good a chance as any. Um, the, the Dorian Thompson Robinson is is another guy who's just he's just playing great football right now. And there's no other way to put it. Uh, UCLA had a total of 502 yards in this game. That offense is humming, pretty balanced as well. 299 through the air, 203 on the ground. Uh, their running back uh, Charbonnet, Zach Charbonnet, uh, had 198 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Again, a balanced offense. A Chip Kelly offense in a weak uh, in a weak conference, really only competing with one team, is is a good recipe. So UCLA is another team to look out for uh, in the are they for real talks. Yeah, no, for sure. I I just love uh, Chip Kelly being back in college. Uh, let's just forget about his abysmalness in the NFL. It's it's good to see him back in. Uh, in the NCAA realm, more specifically that Pac-12, just wish he was rocking with the Ducks right now because those <laughs> were the days. But UCLA you chip. What. Go ahead. Speaking of man, next week they have a bye. The twenty second, they go to Eugene <laughs> to take on the Ducks. <laughs> it's a lot of looking forward to in this episode, both next week and the weekend after. We got all for you on crunch time. But yeah, UCLA looking good, kind of taking control. Uh, only got Oregon kind of finding yeah, them and, for the top dog. And, and more and more to our point, I mean, like they have six games remaining on that schedule. It's, UC, it's uh, Oregon, tough game. Stanford, Arizona State, Arizona, USC, and Cal. So they're going to be favored in all of those games except USC and Oregon, they still might be favored. I, I don't know exactly how the books shake out right now, but again, yeah. favorable schedule. Anything could happen. Yeah, it seems like it's UCLA kind of to lose, honestly. Uh, but let's talk about this this sad, oh, God, sad, sad, sicko game that was Illinois with a Iowa alumni, Burt Bielema. Taking on the Iowa Hawkeyes, Tanner. <laughs> Can't help but laugh watching this abysmal offense, but what were your thoughts on this one? 
I mean, I think I think the best way to describe it, as you said, it's it was a sicko's dream. I mean, there was no <laughs> offense, not a single touchdown. The final score was nine to six total. I mentioned that UCLA had five hundred and two yards by themselves. In this game, there was a total of five hundred and thirty-eight yards. So UCLA. <laughs> uh, Almost beat these two teams combined. Jeez. Um, Iowa is, we know, we, it's well documented how bad their passing game is and how bad it's been over the past few years. But what's not well documented is that they ran the ball for 52 yards. The run game has been nowhere for this team. And like we've said, it's always going to be a bad passing game. So when the run game isn't there either, it's just an all-around terrible offense. Five for 17 on third down. Uh, a total of 14 punts in the game. It, a sicko's dream, man. Don't really know what else to say. We've documented this this offense forever. They can't do anything. The defense is every bit as good as advertised. Uh, Illinois, I mean, fresh off a week, I believe they scored 31 against Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, their offense was humming. Granted, uh, their their quarterback uh, Tommy DeVito did get hurt in this game, but but still that that offense has got a lot of good players, and uh, and that Iowa defense shut them down. They just can't score right now, and it's going to be a long long season for this team because next, of course, this is the been this college football talk has been all about <laughs> looking ahead to the next week. They have a bye similar to UCLA, but then they got to go up to the shoe and play Ohio State in which Ohio State will win that game 56 to 0. <laughs> Unfortunately, I believe it too. But yeah, man, this I I don't know what what to do as Iowa fans. Like is so I mean, you me and our roommate Keegan who, who was on the pod in the past, we laughed when we lost. We weren't even upset. That's how low Iowa fans' hopes have gotten this year. And it doesn't help on fourth and whatever, what fourth and short, uh, late in the game, opportunity to win the game. Uh, Petrus, of course, misses a pass because he can't complete a pass. And camera pans over. And they're just smiling. Brian and Petrus are laughing on the sidelines as they lose to Illinois nine to six. But moving that I mean, guy final comments on this one. Yeah, there is there truly is no redeeming factor. They can't throw, they can't run. The offensive line is terrible, can't run block, can't pass block. The um the uh the play calling's terrible. The the, the skill positions actually aren't bad. They have decent talent at that at those, but no one to get the ball to him, so that's pretty much useless. Like, there's literally no redeeming factor to this offense, and well, it's showing. Yeah, I truly believe if we just punted on first down, we'd have a better chance of scoring. I think our defense has a better chance of scoring than our offense. I really I, do. I I agree. It's, <laughs> it's that bad. It has gotten that bad in Iowa City. Yeah, but. Things are looking good for Alabama, and that's what we're going to talk about next. Kind of eked out a win uh, against A&M, only winning by four, but Alabama's backup quarterback was in this. So with Bryce Young, 
I don't think this is particularly close. I think A&M's overrated, personally. But, Tanner, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would have expected a little bit more from Alabama, as you said, backup quarterback in the game. So it's hard to take too much away from it. Um, the defense stepped up when they needed to, stopped, uh, stopped A&M on a fourth and goal. Could be the world's worst play call of all time. Uh, but still, the, the, the Alabama defense stepped up. And, uh, well, as long as you're winning conference games and especially SEC games, uh, you'll be fine. And then they found a way to win, as they always do. So, so again, would have liked to seen a little bit better from Alabama, but not taking too much into it. They won, didn't have their quarterback. Yeah. Uh, that's – I don't have much to add, but that kind of wraps it up for our college football talk. Obviously, a lot of good games coming up. Might see a couple in the pick later on. But we will be back with some NFL recap. Some good ones, some bad ones, and just plain outright ugly. All right, Tanner, it's time. For some NFL talk, we're going to get started with what might go down in the records books as the worst Thursday night football game of all time. And that's the Colts first Broncos Colts actually end up winning this one 12 to nine Tanner. Tell us what you thought of this one. Well, I want to know. I mean, you you led us into this saying the good, the bad, and the ugly. Was this the bad or was this the ugly? Because it can it sure was. as hell be both. <laughs> yeah, sure as sure as hell one the good. Let's just say that. But uh, I mean, not again, not a touchdown scored in this game. Horrible quarterback play. I mean, these are two teams with sky high expectations. I mean, they they both made the playoffs for me. Did you both have them in your playoffs and in, in, in our predictions? When we did that, uh, did that segment, and I mean, I, I wish I had some sort of button with me. Find these teams, and I have a panic button. I am smashing that so so hard. It is absolutely time to panic. Russell Wilson looks like he's never seen a football before. Um, again, I, I saw this take from an NFL Network personality. He's just so so not genuine. He's just like such a problem, and you can see how things are in Seattle now. How happy others are to not play with him anymore and you have that fear if you're a if you're a broncos fan i mean could he divide the locker room kind of like he did in seattle you're so tied to this guy and the one thing he had in seattle was that his play was there right people might not have liked him but he was playing well he was talented you don't even have that right now if you're denver i mean just absolute nightmare scenario for the broncos so you are slamming that 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 uh, panic button and the Colts while they did end up winning this game their division was wide open we talked about this division is the Colts to lose the Colts to lose and I still I mean it still should be theirs right they were one win away from making the playoffs last year with Carson Wentz under center they add Matt Ryan and and the team just sucks like they what happened to Jonathan Taylor he can't Mm -hmm. like he's struggling so far this year he's hurt now then they you know they're the one strength of the Broncos is that running game, that deep running game. Naheem Hines has one that's been productive in the NFL. He goes down in this start as well. So you don't have a healthy running back room. 
your biggest strength as an offense, your offensive line, which was one of the best in football over the past few years, is really struggling and honestly playing like one of the worst offensive lines in football right now. A similar situation, you, you can't really do anything because that offensive line is so bad. Your, your running game struggling. Your running game's not healthy. Your quarterback's about a, as immobile as it gets and uh, can't really do anything through the passing game either. So, so if I'm the Colts, I'm also absolutely slamming the panic button because uh, neither team can really do much right now offensively, and that is a scary, scary sight. Yeah, I mean, both of these teams downright abysmal, downright disappointing so far this season. I I just can't believe that last play call uh, by Nathaniel Hackett. Slants of all, like, all routes. <laughs> And just missing, I forget the player's name, just downright missing the wide open wide receiver. So so I definitely agree with you. I think they should have kept it on the ground. But in defense to Nathaniel Hackett, the play worked. He was open. (laughs) True. True. So most of just didn't be looking the other way. Like, uh, I don't love the play call. But it's 100% got to be on your quarterback. The, the, it was wide open. It was there. You just can't miss it. K.J. Hamler um, was wide open, man. And, and you saw from his reaction in the back of the end zone, again, that kind of thing I was talking about, where not only are they frustrated because they're not winning, but they might get, start to get frustrated with number three under center, something we saw in Seattle, and that can be a big, big problem. Yeah. Uh, I think that it just – what a wild game. And I think the best part of this game was the post game with uh, Richard. Oh my God. Just absolutely obliterating Russell Wilson. Run the dang ball. It was hilarious. If you haven't yet, uh, check out our initial reactions for this game on our uh, Instagram we did. We hopped on a quick live, so check it out at Crunchime underscore Pod. So that kicked off the uh, football weekend, week weekend, whatever you want to call it. Then we had this the sicko uh, that is uh, the Iowa offense on Saturday, and then Sunday morning, Tanner, we had another London game: the Giants versus the Packers. The Giants actually end up taking this one, twenty-seven to twenty-two. Tanner, is Danny Dimes him? Dude, I think I think it might be time to <laughs> to start talking about Danny Dimes being him. I mean, I've never fully not believed in Daniel Jones, I guess is a lot of negatives in there, but I, you know, I'm not going to go out and say, I thought Daniel Jones was good, but I didn't never really thought he was that bad. Uh, yeah. he, he's a, a very big body. He's very fast, very deceivingly fast. My favorite stat is, is in that, uh, that long run he had against the Eagles where he tripped over himself. And uh, yes, that was very funny. Uh, <laughs> but if you compare that to when DK Metcalf ran down the Cardinals, uh, the Cardinal safety or, or cornerback who who got that interception. And Daniel Jones was only going about 0.4 miles an hour slower than DK Metcalf did. When it looked like DK Metcalf was flying and he was praised for how he flew, uh, start putting some respect on Danny Dimes because he can scoot. Um, but that's something that I think Brian Dable has leaned into a lot. It's like, hey, 
this guy can move, right? They're starting to move, involve him a little bit more in the run game. He had, he had 10 carries. Saquon had 13 carries. So only three less carries than, than your star running back and getting him involved, working in that option. I mean, something he did in college and bringing that college style offense, something he excelled in with his legs and the way he's able to move. Seems like this could be a blueprint for success for the Giants offense and seemed like it worked that way again. I mean, the Packers, one of the better defenses in the NFL and they scored 14 fourth quarter points and mounting that comeback. I mean, they were down 20 to three, I think 17 to three, something like that. And uh, something like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Giants right now are, surprisingly good certainly no one had this four and one start i gotta ask you sam are they for real yeah i i don't know why they wouldn't be i mean the team that given their one loss was against cooper rush but who hasn't lost to cooper rush at this point in fact uh, everybody <laughs> who has played cooper rush has lost to cooper rush but i mean just Danny Dimes just getting more comfortable in the NFL. I mean, from his rookie season to now has been an incredible jump. Having a healthy Saquon has has helped him a lot, not relying on that pass game. Uh, we'll see if Saquon can stay healthy, but that division is tough. We got the undefeated Eagles, the Giants who are looking good, and then the Cowboys, who are winning without their starting quarterback. That's just... the definition of him at quarterback. <laughs> yeah. It, it's and, just wild. And hey, there's and then... commanders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... yeah it's, it's like that meme with, like, the four dragons. There's, like, three super serious uh-huh. one, and one's just, like, out of it. That is yeah. that division. I've also seen the one where a bunch of, uh, bunch of army guys are lined up outside of the room ready to go in. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a clown. <laughs> That's yeah. the commanders. But, uh, you know, I agree with what you said. And really for the first time, we're seeing Danny Dimes be in a good situation, right? I mean, every single head coach the Giants is, the Giants have hired, it's kind of been like, what are they doing? Like this guy, really? Dayball, I mean, I didn't really know much about him other than the fact that he was leading successful offenses in Buffalo. I mean, what a job this guy's done, right? The, the early front runner for coach of the year, probably, definitely, right? I yeah. Mean, this guy's been a very, very refreshing uh, change of pace up in in, um, East Rutherford, New Jersey, and showing on the field, Danny's playing great. But I do want to kind of switch it on the other, on the other coin. Those are words. (laughs) Attack this on the other side of the coin here. What's going on with the Packers? Are the Packers like, do you think it's time to hit the panic button in Green Bay? Or is it like hovering over the panic button? Dude. Or or should they take Aaron Rodgers' advice in R E L A X? <sighs> relax. You know the Packers are in a interesting situation. Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback. Uh, I don't think anybody can argue that one. But you gotta have guys to throw it to, and he just has one, maybe two solid options. I mean the last uh, two plays in this one Rodgers had tunnel vision on Lazard and those end up getting bad down uh giving the Giants a win but also they just aren't using their running backs they they'll get like five yards of carry and then just throw for six times in a row just AJ 
AJ Dillon and uh, Aaron Jones are <laughs> one of the best one-two punches in the NFL, and they just don't use them for some reason. So, passing, I don't know. It's I think I'm hovering, but it's pretty close to that panic button. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm definitely hovering. Um, like you said, one of the worst wide receiving cores Aaron Rodgers has ever had. I mean, you look at this game against the Giants. Randall Cobb had a nice day. He had seven receptions for 99 yards. A 32-year-old Randall Cobb, might I add. <laughs> but uh, everyone, no one else eclipsed 40 yards. The next highest was Alan Lazard, who caught four kick, four receptions for 35 yards. So. Big drop off. And then after him, Romeo Dobbs with 29, Robert Tony with 23. Like the, he just doesn't have weapons. And as you said, his best weapons are in the backfield. A, a head scratching decision to not use them in, in, you know, in fourth down situations. And I heard that LaFleur is, is kind of giving uh, Rodgers a little bit of leeway on the play calling, which again, if I'm a Packer fan, I'm pretty concerned about that. Um, because uh, when, when your quarterback's calling the plays, what quarterback just wants to hand the ball off every time? Like, no, he doesn't yeah. want to do that. And maybe that played a role in some of those uh, in some of those play calls that ended up getting batted down and, and sealed the Giants' win. So uh, I, I definitely think I'm hovering. And, and another week, I mean, they go and play the Jets next week, another loss to, to a New York football team, and I am officially ready to absolutely hammer that panic button. Yeah, I – I'm going to make a bold prediction here. I think we see OBJ return to the field this year wearing the green and yellow for, for the Packers. Packers. He, was, he was at their practice facilities earlier uh, last week uh, before they head out to London. So it's in, it's in the place or it's in the cards. Yeah, I think actually the Packers were also one of the teams he was looking at last year. I think he just ended up choosing the Rams over the Packers by a small margin, but, you know. Might as well join him this year. Lord knows he'd be the number one option. <laughs> yeah. But switching to a team that defeated the Giants and with perhaps the greatest quarterback of all time, the Cowboys being led by him, Hooper Rush, defeating the reigning Super Bowl champions 22 to 10. Tanner. Is there a quarterback controversy in Dallas? That's the question I got to ask, man. I know, I know. And, oh, boy, this is so fun, right? Because Cooper Rush is awesome. The more teams that lose to him, the better the Vikings look (laughs) having lost to him last year. I am all for it. They do not have a quarterback. (laughs) Dak Prescott, I mean, he broke so many records last year for the Cowboys. Um, And, we talk about Cooper Rush. Uh, have you seen his stat line from this game? Oh, it's all good. He went 10 for 16 with 102 yards. <laughs> you know, uh, I, th- I think the perfect comparison for what the Cowboys are doing is the 49ers with Jimmy G. Yeah, great, exactly. Great. You got to play one to two quarters of good offense and let the defense do the rest. That defense is something <laughs> different, man. In the first quarter of this game, having a, a scoop and score of a strip sack of Matt Stafford, having a blocked punt, um, the special teams and the defense on this team is incredible. Having uh, you know an early candidate for defensive player of the year, Micah Parsons, on this roster, 
seems absolutely unblockable right now. Was unblockable last year. He's just continuing that that uh, trajectory and the way the Cowboys are able to run the ball. I mean, between Tony Pollard and Zeke and Zeke Elliott having a combined thirty carries for over one hundred and fifty yards, I think one hundred and sixty four yards to be exact. Um, if you can control the game on the ground, you can limit mistakes from the quarterback position until you get your star back. Just let that defense cook. Let that defense create short fields, sometimes even touchdowns, and just kind of ride that blueprint till you get you can get your offense back because it's working right now. Cowboys are four and one, as we mentioned. The NFC least now turning into the NFC beast because of the turnarounds these teams are having, and it's, I mean, it's definitely refreshing because it's been an absolutely garbage <laughs> division for a few years now. And I mean, as we said, it's abs- it's been off to a blazing hot start. Yeah, man, that division is scary. Um, but looking at the other side of the ball, I was going to say, what, what another, is going on? Another panic meter? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where, where are you at on that panic meter? I'm, I'm, boy, I, I'm, I'm hovering, but I'm closer to pressing with the Rams than I am the Packers. Um, because, we all know the well-documented uh, story of, of Stafford's health, the shoulder injury that he's dealing with. He doesn't look completely comfortable. Lost a lot of weapons. I don't, don't think it's talked about enough. I mean, with uh, Robert Woods going down to Tennessee, uh, I believe they lost Van Jefferson too, um, and trying to fill new Odell. guys in. Yeah, of course, Odell. Right. I forgot about Odell. <laughs> and it seems like the only reliable pieces he has are Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby, who were on the team last year. He's still not quite yet comfortable throwing into Allen Robinson. And uh, yeah, it's it, the offense does not look good whatsoever. They lost Andrew Whitworth, their star left tackle. The offensive line is in complete shambles. They can't block anybody. Again, Micah Parsons had his way with them. He had He's had his way with everybody. <laughs> the entire defensive line had their way with the Rams offensive line similar thing up in San Francisco when they played uh they have a lot to figure out there but I'm not quite ready yet um but I'm mm, I am damn close because things are not looking good for the defending champs yeah I I'm hovering closer than I would be hovering with the Packers I I seriously don't know (laughs) like their defense is is good I mean, you have Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, so many Donald. stars. Don't don't need much. Bobby more Wagner. Than that. Bobby Wagner. They had new addition there. God, you but, get it. Any sort of streaker on the field, Bobby Wagner is. <laughs> he's got him unlocked. Um, yes. But I I think the biggest problem here um, is that offensive line because you're relying heavily on Matthew Stafford, and you said not a hundred percent to two really main receivers with Cooper Cup and Higby. And he just does not have a lot of time, no matter who they're playing. Yeah, you see them playing 49ers and obviously the Cowboys, two of the best defenses. But week in, week out, he's getting hit constantly, whether it be just hurries to sacks. I mean, something needs to happen on that offensive line. And then that helps out the running game. There has been no running game for the Rams either. So another reason why they're relying so heavily on that passing game. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, no running game whatsoever. And 
the amount of hits Stafford's been taking, not only sacks, but just straight up hits when he's able to get the ball out. It's tough to watch, man. And he's an older quarterback like that, not as mobile as, as some people. He's going to, you know, that's going to start to take a toll. And they've played five games. They've played five, five games this year. Three of the five, he's had to throw the ball over 40 times. Oh, my God. Three of the five, and one of one of the ones that wasn't, he threw thirty six. Jeez, oh, I mean, I love it because he's throwing to Cooper Cup, and he's on my fancy team. But that's that's not a recipe for success. Let's put it that way. But per- perhaps the best game of the NFL slate this week was that Monday night football game. The Raiders versus the Chiefs. The Chiefs inching out a win here. 30 to 29. Tanner, what what were your thoughts on that last uh the last couple plays by the Raiders? Um, I tell you what, this game this game was awesome, as you said. Um kind of showing us, uh, even though the Raiders are one in four, just how competitive a a division this is going to be something that we all knew going into the season, but you know, got proof of it where the team is off to the worst start, the Raiders playing the teams off to the best start, the Chiefs closely on the road. Um the the Raiders star showed up. I mean Josh Jacobs, 154 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Uh Devontae Adams, three catches for 124 yards and two touchdowns, two very long touchdowns, one to tie the game late in the game. But uh um the last the the story of this game for me, it was just so clearly the ref show. Not only the Chris Jones play, but then it seemed like uh seemed like a kind of a large overcorrection. And then calls started going in the favor of the Chiefs after that. Um it it was just there seemed like there was a flag on every play. I'm gonna try and pull up the stats here. Uh, penalty. There was a sixteen penalties Jeez. for uh, sixteen penalties for one hundred and seventy-one yards in the in the entirety of the game. Um, Eleven on the Raiders, like I had said. So, kind of after that really bad one against Chris Jones, the overcorrection, the defensive holding on the field goal. Like, what on earth was that called? Yeah, when when was the last time you saw that called? I mean, never. It's the answer. It's, yeah, it's never. It, it was such a weird call. No one really understood it, and uh, it, it's such a shame. I still think the game was awesome, but would have been a little bit more awesome if we didn't have some some pretty gross calls on it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Obviously, we've seen a couple roughing the passer oh, calls. We saw obviously the one on Carr with Chris Jones, and I forgot who uh, hugged uh, Tom Brady. Did the is the NFL just trying to over overcorrect what the let's put it how it is a mismanagement that was to us injury? I think that's definitely what's going on here. Um, Grady Jarrett was the uh, was the def- the pass rusher Thank who you. completed a completely legal and frankly textbook tackle of Tom Brady the way he tackled him and uh, even kind of rolled him over himself taking the brunt of the fall on himself, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, I think that's exactly what's going on. We saw what happened with Tua and just want to 
you know, avoid those type of hits on the quarterback, the most vulnerable position on the field. And while I definitely agree that's, you know, good in principle, um, both of the hits on Tua were, I guess, I think one was flagged. I think the one against Buffalo was flagged. I think you're right. And then the one against uh, who was it? Cincinnati. The one against Cincinnati, the one that caused the the very scary fencing pose. Um, I think that was 110 times more egregious than anything we saw on Sunday and Monday. I mean, the dude got absolutely slammed. That was nothing. Again, it's this overcorrection that while the refs think it's good promoting player safety, it's just completely sending two completely different messages to to pass rushers and, and defensive players and they don't know how to play defense spectators don't know how they should play defense and it's created an interesting situation where teams are going to be scared to hit the quarterback which of course is a key part of football and a key way to win the game is to get that quarterback uncomfortable so uh hopefully they figure out something soon um because the one that is should be called rubbing the pass or isn't getting called and the ones that aren't that aren't roughing the passer, are getting called, which is really, really bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't put it better myself. Um, last question I have for you. Is Devontae questioning his decision? It's it's hard to say no. Um, it's hard to say no. Seems like both sides are kind of missing each other, right? We, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> documented how... Uh, Rodgers doesn't have any weapons, and now Raiders are one and four. Um, he wanted to play. Uh, he wanted to play in Vegas, closer to his family. He grew up on the West Coast, went to Fresno State with Derek Carr. So he's where he wants to be. He's just not winning, and and I frankly don't know how much he uh, how much he he is, each of that is important to him in his ranking of where he plays. But right now, it's it's definitely hard to say no. He's not regretting his decision with the way his team is playing and how him and Rodgers have looked together for so many years up in Green Bay. Yeah, I I think it's too early to tell. Um, I mean, how can you not miss Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he is one of the best quarterbacks. Um, but yeah, I think what people are taking out content or kind of exaggerating is obviously his frustration towards the end of the game on Monday night, slamming his helmet. Let's be honest. Every receiver would slam their helmets if they ran into their own teammate on Ask their KJ Hamler. <laughs> yeah. He slammed his helmet when he was, <laughs> he, he ran a route and the, you know, his quarterback missed him. Um, yeah. And then obviously everyone saw the push of the cameraman. Honestly, not the first time I've seen someone shove someone in the player's way after frustrating loss, but just interesting uh, to get your thoughts on that. But that's going to kind of wrap it up for the weekend recap. We talked a lot about the NCAA and NFL. Now we are going to hop in to our player of the week. Tanner, I'm going to let you Pick it off with our NFL player of the week, Tanner. Who is that guy? Yeah, we had a lot of good options this week, but I think there is a clear 
person deserving of the NFL Player of the Week. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Sam, but uh, not too long ago, Commanders running back Brian Robinson Jr. was uh, was shot multiple times and was rushed to a hospital. And uh, it was a very scary moment uh, within the NFL and NFL fans. They come together to uh, help Brian Robinson through this. And it turns out he was okay. He survived. And uh, sure enough, not too long after the incident, he is back on the football field. He played for the first time this year against the Tennessee Titans. Got nine carries himself for 22 yards. Uh, just a great, great moment for the NFL as a whole. Uh, watching someone coming back from su- such a tragic injury. Um, not even injury, just like murder attempt. Um, come back better um, better than ever and, and record uh, and I mean, frankly, lead the team in carries on the day, which is what he did. So uh, awesome stuff. Great to see him back. The emotional ride he's been on, uh, what it meant to him to be back with his teammates. Again, all around awesome, awesome moment. So so some things are just bigger than football, and that's why he gets the, the NFL Player of the Week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw one of the coldest video going around on social media, him walking out to many men by 50 cent. Absolute awesome moment uh, for the NFL, having him back. But for the NCAA side of things, how can it not be this guy from Pitt? Pitt's running back, Israel Aubin Nakonda had 36 carries, 320 yards, Averaging 8.9 yards per carry. Oh, and he had six touchdowns. Absolutely amazing game by Israel Aubin Nikonda. But that kind of wraps it up for our player of the week, kind of our football talk. Next up, we have Pick'em, so stay tuned for that. All right, Tanner, it's that time of the episode. It's time for Pick'em. Last week, you and me both went 5-2 and two to start off the second month of Pick'em season. Tanner, we had a punishment last week. I uh, didn't really know what to decide on, so I gave you a little more time. Tanner, tell our wonderful listeners what that punishment for me is going to be. Yeah, man, I'm real excited to talk about it because this is something we tried before and we're unsuccessful in, in getting this done. So um, so we're finally going to get Sam is going to be shaking what his mama gave him on TikTok. And uh, he is going to record a TikTok dance. You're going to catch it on our uh, on our podcast page on TikTok at crunchtime underscore pod. Uh, I'm real excited about it. This is going to be great. <laughs> um, I still have yet to decide which dance it is. But of course, it is going to be the one that requires the most coordination, the one that requires the most uh, uh, flexibility, and hoping we can get a quality, quality video for all of us to laugh at. So again, at crunchtime underscore pod, that's where you'll find it. Sam is going to be doing a TikTok dance. Yeah, uh, that's that's gonna be embarrassing, um, but it's better than the other option you gave me. And now it's a one chip challenge, so I will happily shake what my mama gave me. But it's a new slate. 
Uh, well, not new slate. We're both five and two, so I guess it is new slate. Let's kick it off with Penn State, number 10 in the nation, taking on Michigan Tanner. Who do you have here? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm going to go with who definitely what I think is the better team and the home team, and that's going to be Michigan. Uh, the big house is going to be rocking for this one. Uh, big statement game, Big Ten rival Penn State. Big really the first test of, of this Michigan team, and I think they'll be up for it. Uh, J.J. McCarthy has been very good for the Wolverines at quarterback, uh, and, and their best players right now is Blake Corum. I mean, what, what this guy can do, his footwork, his vision, um, and, and that's that's uh, Michigan's key to, to victory is, is controlling the game on the ground through both McCarthy and Corum, and I think they're going to be able to do that against Penn State. I got Michigan in this one. Yeah, I, I got Michigan as well. Um, that run game, Blake Corum. Can't, can't add much more, so I'm not going to try. I got Michigan. Next up, the a battle in the ACC. Number 15 takes on NC State. And, uh, NC State, number 15, takes on number 18, Syracuse. Tanner, who do you have here? Well, this is a good one, man. And it's surprising at that. Um, not No one really kind of expected Syracuse to be this good. Uh, or undefeated this far in the season. Um, but I'm going to go with who I think is the better quarterback and who is going to lead, uh, be able to lead his team and, and limit mistakes. And that's Devin Leary and the NC State Wolfpack coming off a big win against Florida State last week at home. I think they're going to be able to parlay that, get some more momentum, a Syracuse team that while playing well, I'm still not totally sold on. So I'm going to go NC State building on that experience. I've already played Clemson. They, they've got a big winning in Florida State, like I said. So, so I'm going to go with the Wolfpack on the road over the Orange. Tanner, that is a great pick. I also have the Wolfpack. My prediction for the ACC champion, big win on last Saturday versus Florida State. Sorry, Tanner is uh, watching live. Uh, opening night for the Ragers had a great reaction there. Might see it on our TikTok, but yeah, NC State looking good. Haven't really liked a whole lot I've seen from Syracuse, so I got NC State here. Tanner, the perhaps game day, or it is game day's game battle of the two powerhouses of Alabama and Tennessee so far this year, at least. Uh, Alabama, Tennessee, Alabama three, Tennessee six. Here, who you got? Tell you what, Sam, I got two words for you right now. First one starts with an R. Rocky Top. Yes, sir. Rocky Top, you'll always be. I am on Rocky Top, baby. Let's go. So I, I go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm I'm just with you, man. I think Tennessee has looked so damn good so far this season, and uh, really have taken care of any everybody in front of them. Alabama, the health of uh, of um, oh my God, what's Bryce Young, Bryce Young. Thank you. <laughs> the health of the health of Bryce Young in <laughs> question, coming off of a very scary 
uh, threat against Texas A&M. Again, a team really, really struggling coming off of a dismantling against Mississippi State. And, of course, uh, barely eating out a victory against Arkansas before that. But anyway, the 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 stock on Alabama right now is is kind of dipping, while Tennessee, it is rising. Um, Hendon Hooker, I, I just like what he's doing. Again, I'm very impressed with this Tennessee team in Knoxville. It is going to be absolutely buzzing in Knoxville. So, so I'm riding the hot hand. The upset, give me Tennessee. I like it. I like it. Tennessee, man, has looked as good as – Ever, honestly, I think this is a legacy game for Hooker, man. If he can, if he can dominate like he's dominated everyone else, I think he is by far the front runner for this Heisman, especially with Bryce Young missing a couple games. Um, Jay or Daniels for Kansas, obviously coming down with injury, it's and it's looking pretty good. Um, and this is just another game that can add to that Heisman hopeful resume. So we both got Tennessee. Wasn't expecting that to be honest. Um, but so, next, so we all got same same for the first three. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we see a little difference here. Late, okay, state number eight in the nation taking on TCU. Tanner, who do you have here? I tell you what, so far there's two things that I've been, that I that I like. I, I like hot teams and I like home teams. I think I think it's big in college football when you get the crowd behind you, and especially when you're playing good football already. And that's exactly what's going on with TCU. As you said, home against Oklahoma State, a team that again dismantled Oklahoma, then went into an undefeated Kansas and beat them. I'm going to roll with them, man. I've got the Horn Frogs, Max Duggan, looking like uh, looking like as good as any quarterback in Division One right now. Uh, that offense scoring at will, again, as high-powered as it gets. The defense definitely scares me. It's definitely something uh, It's something that, I, that I'm going to need TCU to improve on. But in a classic Big 12 shootout, I've got the Horn Frogs, again, the hot hand, the home team. Give me Max Duggan and TCU. Yeah, uh, like you said, Big 12 shootout is in the making with this one. TCU coming off that absolute massacre of Boomer Sooner, riding high. Potential of a hangover effect, I I would like uh, OK State if it was at home. But like you said, Tanner, TCU hasn't. Hasn't been this good in a long time, probably since early 2010s. Uh, I got TCU in this one as well. Next up, number 16, Mississippi State versus Kentucky Tanner. Who do you have in this one? Um, This is an interesting game. I, I think Kentucky is a very interesting team to look at right now. Uh, they're a team that started off really, really nice. Uh, getting that big win against Florida, starting to talk about is Kentucky that number two team in the in the SEC East. Um, I they've kind of hit a skid since, kind of struggling with Northern Illinois, um, losing to Ole Miss and then losing to South Carolina last week at home. The teams on the teams on the on on the slide, and Mississippi State's not. They they come off a, a big win against Arkansas. Granted, that was without KJ Jefferson, but still looked impressive doing so. Um, 
And before that, again, dismantling Texas A&M, beating them 42 to 24. There is a little bit of a slip up in that Mississippi State uh, schedule, losing to LSU, who we saw get absolutely boat raced by Tennessee. But I think Mississippi State's turned that corner. I like what Mike Leach has got going on with the Bulldogs. Uh, so I'm going to go Mississippi State here. I think I think I'm going to back Will Rogers that air raid offense from Mike Leach. I've got the Bulldogs going in to uh, Lexington and getting a win. Yeah, that that finally we have a disagreement. Kentucky needs this win and they need it bad. I know Will Levis has battling a dislocated finger. It's looking like he's going to be a go on Saturday against Mississippi State, and that is going to be going to be huge. Uh, so I actually have Kentucky pulling this one out, getting back on track with the six, early season success they had. Next up, obviously, it's a pack late night pack twelve action. USC versus Utah Tanner. Who do you have in this one? Man, this is a good, good college football slate. I think early on I said this was going to be the matchup for the Pac-12 for me. Uh, Utah has definitely disappointed thus far in the season. I think they're a very talented team, but they have yet to put it together. Cam Rising struggling a little bit under center. Um, you know, with losses to to Utah or excuse me, UCLA and and Florida in Week One. Uh, USC, on the other hand, has looked uh, every bit as high powered as uh, as everyone has has thought they would. Lincoln Riley and and Caleb Williams, that tandem has come in and changed things. That offense looks incredible, and, and I'm going to ride with them. I think USC is just a better team. They're playing better right now. I think they go into Utah and get that win. Um, I'm back in Lincoln Riley here. Yeah, I mean, USC um, would have loved to seen them play on national television, but for some reason, they just aren't playing them on national television. But just looking at the stats, how, I mean, it's Lincoln Riley. They're going to have a great offense. I got, and honestly, I have not liked what I've seen from Utah this season. Honestly, just getting getting smoked by uh UCLA last weekend talked about that earlier struggle losing to Florida in a close one where Florida has their stock has dropped tremendously throughout the season I got USC in this one so I'm pretty sure we only disagreed on one game um in the college slate but hopefully that changes a little bit with the NFL Tanner your Vikings Take on the Miami Dolphins. Hey, who you got here? Oh, boy. I, I think that the big question is, is what goes on in Miami with the quarterback position, right? Uh, you, you had uh, Tua, obviously, what's going on with him. I think there was reports saying that uh, Mike McDaniel was certainly didn't have a team t- timetable in mind, which leads me to believe he will not be playing this weekend. Uh, looks like Teddy Bridgewater will be fine for this weekend. Of course, big revenge game. Um, but uh, tell you what, I-, I think without, without Tua, this team's going to struggle to to score points. That offense is going to struggle. Um, so I- I'm, I'm going to go with the Vikings here. I mean, obviously I know you're shocked, uh, but <laughs> Again, I, I just think the, the the quarterback struggles for 
for Miami is is going to be a problem here. So that's why I'm going with Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, I got I got the Vikings. There's just too many questions uh, with the Dolphins. Um, last time I heard, Tua was still in concussion protocol. Um, so hopefully he's back. I'd love to see him back. But yeah, with the questions that we have at the quarterback, it's hard to go with the Dolphins. But Tanner, perhaps the best game, honestly, both NFL and college might be this one uh, we are about to pick, and that is the Buffalo Bills versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Tanner, who do you have? Boy. Woo! This is a very tough one to pick. Again, I think the Bills, not that this is a hot take, but the Bills are the most talented team in football. They play, play on like the best team in football. Uh, some A couple of hiccups on that schedule um, so far this year. But again, the most talented team versus the Chiefs, who have probably been playing the best, um, at least playing like the better of these two teams uh, as of late. But I'm again, I, I'm uh, mm, this is so hard. I'm still kind of debating it in my mind, but I think I'm going to go with the Bills. They've shown the ability to go on the road and get big wins. They did so against the Rams in week one. Uh, of course, that 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 hard fought uh, NFC championship game or AFC championship game, excuse me, uh, at Arrowhead last year that everyone remembers. And this Bills team is just better. Josh Allen's better. The, the weapons are better. You add Von Miller to this defense. They're a little bit banged up uh, uh, on the defensive end, but they've still held up on that side. And I, and I don't really think uh, that uh, it's going to be that big a deal because the Chiefs are going to score. They're the Chiefs. And I think the Bills are just going to be able to outscore them. High-scoring affair. I've got the Bills going into Arrowhead. Ooh, finally, some disagreement. This one is honestly the flip of Penny for me. This game is going to be so awesome. Agreed. Agreed. I I think I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Um, ask me tomorrow. It might be a different answer. But Patrick Mahomes is somehow, some way going to do Patrick Mahomes saying, as we've seen throughout his career, somehow, some way uh, expose that dominant Bills defense and find his boy Kelsey in the end zone. And his buddy Clyde. I, I got the Chiefs, but I agree, Terry. I think this is going to be a shootout. This game is going to Oh, I'm so excited. But rounding out our pick a lot of good games this week, both in the uh, college football slate and the NFL slate, the Cowboys versus the Eagles. Can Cooper rush and another perfect season? Or did the Eagles end Cooper Rush's undefeated record? Tanner, who you got in this one? I tell you what, Sam, I think I'm going to actually play my only reverse card of the episode and send it back to you. I think no one is more well-equipped to talk about this game than you, man. You and your Cowboys take on the undefeated Eagles, the battle for supremacy in the NFC East. I I got to defer to you right now. Yeah. I'll, I'll take this one first. Um, this one is going to be interesting. I'll tell you that. Obviously, Cooper Rush and a dominant defense. And then you have 
one of the dominant offenses versus a solid defense, one of the top dogs in defense. But you know I ain't going against Cooper Rush. And Cooper Rush, we trust, baby. I got the Cowboys ending another perfect season. And Cooper Rush going 5-0 as a starter. I got the Cowboys inching out a close, low-scoring battle in this one. Man, I, I can't fault you. You got to ride the undefeated. It's never happened in the history of the NFL. Cooper Rush getting beaten. But not so fast, my friend. These are the Philadelphia Eagles, the high-powered offense with Jalen Hurts, that run game, and Miles Sanders. Those two dynamic weapons in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. I think the Eagles will be able to get this done again at home. Lincoln Financial, one of the hardest places to play. Um it's definitely the biggest test that the Eagles have seen and, and the best defense this, the Eagles have played so far. So that offense that right now looks unstoppable. If anyone's going to do it, it's definitely going to be Micah Parsons and crew. But uh, I think I think Philly's going to be able to get it done and, and really assert themselves as the as the best team and not only the NFC East, but in the entire NFC. So, so I'm going with the Eagles here. Disappointing. Sam loves the pick. <laughs> but... He loves the pick. That will wrap it up for episode 70 of Crunch Time with the N326 duo. Congrats. You have made it to the end of the episode, so shout out to you. Let us know what you thought of the football slate last weekend, who you have winning the MLB playoffs, the player of the game or player of the week talking the NCAA and NFL, who were yours. Meanwhile, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at crunchtime underscore pod. And of course, make sure to check out our Sam's punishment and his sweet dance moves on our TikTok again. That is at crunchtime underscore pod. But with that, the clock has run out on this episode, but we will see you on the next one on Crunch Time.